Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Craig Hubbard and in this episode I'm driving down the highway from the sunny coast down to the northern rivers and it got me thinking about the time that I was doing a lot of travelling between Sydney and Sunshine Coast in search of land, preparing to buy my land, what was I thinking about and then all the lessons I've had since then, talking with farmers and then the questions that I get asked a lot about what should I be looking for when buying land or making that move to to be on land. So I'm going to share some of my thoughts in this episode while I'm driving. So I'll see you in there. So the big question is this, how do we live in more sustainable and regenerative ways? How can we tap into the ancient secrets of living in harmony with the sacred nature of life? How do we embody the interconnected web of life that thrives in abundance within each of us? That is the question, and this podcast will explore the answers. My name is Craig Hubbard, and welcome to Shambhala Living. Hi everyone, welcome back. So I'm just heading down the coast to see a good friend, Roberto. It's a, his partner's birthday and that partner Craig Ruddy who passed earlier this year we're going down to celebrate his his life and his birthday and there's a at the Tweed Gallery with two of his main works that are, are, one was the Two Worlds that won the Archibald in 2004 and another work that won the People's Choice Awards. So they're going to be on display today and it's like a celebration for his life and his birthday and it's a, a good chance to come down and, and, and celebrate his life and, and everything that he brought. And it's, it's these journeys that remind me of when I was in Sydney, when I was living in Tamarama and I met Craig and Roberto and I was leaving to come to the sunny coast and I and it was meeting him uh, or meeting them both that that really sparked something in me to make the change to follow my heart and to find land and be on land the year that I eventually left was 2007 and there was a lot of rumblings in the economic world and there was a few reasons that I I chose to leave but uh, one of the main ones was I found out I was going to be a dad and that was where life was taking us that was where my partner at the time was was heading to the Sunshine Coast to be with family so I had this desire to move down south be on land be closer to the ocean and slow down life that seemed to be getting busier and busier and it just seemed to be getting crazier and crazier and with the economy just in this on the brink of collapse which ended up happening in 2008 I could feel the tension and the unknowing of what what was happening so a couple of things kind of came together and, and one was having the becoming a dad but the other one was having the support to follow my heart and to actually leave the the heartbeat of the city and and 
follow this desire that I'd had to live on land and, and experience self-sufficiency and learn to to be off grid and, and just kind of just to, to get away from the craziness of, of life that was that I was experiencing down there. So that led me on this journey and I have shared this in other episodes so I won't go into that here but I wanted to share some of the things that I was that I have learned since then that may help others that are on the journey making it uh, they may be making a big change from a from a, another city out to rural land they might be just looking for their their dream place some people call it different names like the place you retire I was looking for that and I I wanted to share now after 15 years of being on two different properties working with numerous farmers that um, had insights into land and soil and permaculture experts syntropic teachers and then also natives that I got to experience and learn from in Costa Rica and bringing that all down into now which is I'm recording this in 2022 when we've experienced COVID there's been a resurgence of people wanting to be back on the land again to grow their own food but we've also had this because of that we've had this massive swing of, of real estate where prices have gone super high and it's been really competitive to try and find that dream home or that land so it's it's really important to to have a, a set of guidelines of what are you looking for when you're you're looking for land because if you've got the wrong set of guidelines that you're looking for um, or you might think that you need that might change the price by several hundreds or thousands you know like we wouldn't have said this a few years ago that certain aspects of of the land could raise the price so dramatically but it is the case and that might continue to be be the case so maybe if you found out some of those elements that you think are so necessary for that long-term place for you to be self-sufficient or whatever it is that you may be looking for if you found out that you didn't need them or maybe you needed something different then that could either save you a lot of heartache a lot of money um, or it may open the scope of and that's what my hope is that it can open the scope of what actually is available and what can work and what you don't actually need in order to grow your own food and live a reasonably self-sufficient life so i guess to to get started i'm going to go back to a, a phone call i had with with someone that a lot of us may know but i'm not going to share his name in this just for privacy but there's been many people that have called over the years because we've the, the more recent years since we started Shambhala Farm um, and going to the markets 
some people have come to us asking well if you guys are running the farm you must know about how to grow food and what what we need in order to buy our own land and I think to a degree yes that that is the case but one of the most surprising things that that I've learned out of my kind of last decade and a half of being on on the farm at Doonan near Noosa and also at, a, at our property near Conondale, near Crystal Waters, the permaculture village and near Mullaney um, was that I didn't need as much as I thought I needed in terms of everything. I didn't need as much of the, the things that I sort of desperately wanted to have that feeling of self-sufficiency so again this all depends on your deepest desires and your budgets um, what your end outcome is and you're only you can answer those so you're going to have your your dream board um, your your top ideals you know maybe there'll be things like proximity to the ocean or proximity to a, a national park or maybe it's to be off-grid or maybe it's to to be near a school maybe it's land maybe it's the soil when I first met the farmer that was my, my main mentor which was Jim Hunt and I asked him how he acquired his land and, and what was he looking for and he was telling me that he spent many years looking for land that had alluvial soil that was deposited from floods over years and it was care he was carefully looking along rivers where the soil would pile up and not just get washed away so certain bends of the river would pile soil up onto the lands over years and other bends of the river would remove soil so studying how water flows was one way to determine where were those pockets of land that were actually accumulating soil and had been accumulating soil over many years and then which lands could you see from the way the water flows were actually losing their topsoil and had been losing their topsoil for for decades and therefore were were nowhere near as fertile and therefore were not as not going to be as productive and and not going to be as great for growing food and being self-sufficient so that was one of my first kind of lessons of oh okay there's there's a lot more that goes into this than what I first thought now at the time I chose my property on a whim I chose my the first property I moved to was was on a whim and I, I don't think I've shared this story in a in a previous episode so I might share it here because I think it's it's important but if you if you already have heard what I've just said and, and you're already like oh my god like I'm nowhere near looking for the right property if don't be just don't be put off because that was something 
that Jim got to do because I don't know land was was more abundant back there not as many people were looking for land prices were a lot lower so there was a lot more choice and he had the choice here he bought his place 30 years before before I got there so this was 40 years ago as of today um, maybe even a little bit more so we're talking of a very different time have those opportunities gone yeah a fair lot of them have but not all of them and if you if you're aware of that then you might be able to find one of those properties that are containing a gold mine and a gold mine would be a literal gold mine of of soil deposits and water underneath and water above in, in diversity and, and all the things that bring abundance to to land diversity of nature and diversity of trees and uh, of birds and streams and now I'm talking what I'm describing here is possibly you know a, a, a you know a, a dream now is, is there's not as much out there and if you if these places that I'm describing are probably worth millions and millions of dollars so in a lot of cases they're out of the question what I'm here to share in this episode is that actually you don't need all of those elements and I wanted to share how you can grow in the most unfertile places and the most uncommon places that goes against the the wisdom that Jim gave me not because that wisdom is not precious wisdom of looking and observing land but in today's age if you're looking for that one place you may be looking for a very long time or you may have to have very deep pockets or go into a lot of debt to get those places but it doesn't mean you shouldn't learn some of those techniques of, of knowing that over millennia or at least over decades water deposits soil nutrients in different places along its flow it doesn't have to just be the river it could be the way it flows along your land or along this proposed land how where on the land where on that hill usually the hill itself is going to lose the nutrients and then the the pockets are going to hold the nutrients but none of this actually needs to be there in order for you to have a self-sufficient property and I think that is hugely good news so I've gave up a property that I think was pretty abundant and I gave it up for desire to be closer to the ocean and closer to amenities for my children as they were growing up closer to my community for the ability to be uh, at the farmers market 
instead of traveling two hours to get to the farmer's market, I could now travel 30 minutes to get to our farmer's market. And that made a huge difference when we were getting up at midnight to get set up by three or get, get there at two and start unpacking so we could be setting up between two and five before the customers came. So now we could sleep in until 2.30 and get there at 3 and be setting up between 3 and 5. So it was still a really early morning, but two hours at that time in the morning was was so valuable and it was happening every week. So that I gave up to be closer and I found a place that was closer. But the place that I found was a flood place and, and it wasn't one of the places that Jim was talking about where the water would deposit and and the nutrients it was a place that that would lose its nutrients so it was against the ideal property buying so I want to give you some best practice ideas but I also want to give you permission to throw some of those out the window and go on gut instinct go on your intuition for your current needs and for you and your family so the story I wanted to share was on my way driving which I was driving weekly a 14 hour drive back to Sydney to help run the business that we were running at the time and then each Monday I'd jump in the car and now I'd drive back to the land to the Sunshine Coast and we were the land there was already a house there but there was so much work to be done it was totally off grid now before I actually got there I'd done a few reconnaissance trips up here and I was looking at places and I found this one that when I walked through the, the gate it felt like the image that I'd had in my mind and in my heart and it just something spoke to me and it just said this is this is home and I didn't have the funds I had no possible means even to get the funds pardon me I didn't have a job I hadn't had a job ever other than a very short stint at McDonald's and that was like three shifts you know I, I just couldn't do it so being a entrepreneur wasn't that great on the resume for when I'm going for a loan so I didn't think that I'd be able to get a loan but I knew I was going to be a dad I'd always wanted to get out of Sydney and find land and when I found this property it was actually looking for a friend and when I walked through the gate something just spoke and said this this is home and I'd been reading the books of Shambhala I'd read the the um, Buddhist book of of Shambhala I think it was Secrets of Shambhala and then I read another book called it was anyway it was the, the In Search of Shambhala I, I, they're probably not the right name but that the, the book that I'm referring to here was the one of the sequels to the Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield it presented this this concept of Shambhala that was a utopia on earth and it was very green it was everything that I'd conjured up in my mind of of like heaven on earth and and that was very much in line with getting away from the city 
avoiding this collapse of the economy, growing my own food, being off grid, and when I found this place, I was just like, oh, this is this is my Shambhala. So I left there knowing that somehow I was going to, to get there and I was gonna live there, but I had no idea how, and interestingly, it was looking for this friend, my, my best friend, Pete, who was my business partner, and they were looking to move, but they didn't wanna buy that property, and so then it sat with me and I just, I came back and I was interestingly sitting in Craig and Roberto's apartment at Tamarama and I kept looking at this property online and it was some conversations with Craig and Roberto that gave me the, the confidence to just go for it no matter what. So I rang a friend who was, who was good at finance who also was a, a business partner of mine at the time and asked him, how can I get this place? He told me some ideas about creative financing, how I could do some vendor financing, and we had a combination of uh, a creative offer that um, we put to the vendor. The vendor did a little bit of vendor financing, and all of this was uh, took some time to prepare, to, to put to the real estate, to put to the solicitor, to put to the vendor, to share them on how this was a good thing for them and how that could also help me get the the finance approval that I needed. Um, that in itself is a story for another time but we finally got an approval and I'd driven back up to kind of share this in person with them and they, they'd drawn up the papers. We had another look at the property and it was, it, it, still felt right so they drew up the papers I came back down to Sydney and I'd said yes on the phone yep draw them up I'm coming up so I'm on my way up and I tell my partner at the time we didn't know if we were going to be together but we knew we were going to be parents and I was wanted to do the best that I could to support this this relationship and this and provide a, a home for for my child to be and so I told Jem who it was at the time like I've bought I'm, I'm on my way to buy this property and we drove up there and I was like what do we what do you want to do do you want to do you want to do this with me do you want to like I haven't signed it yet I'm I'm scared because I don't know like I literally had less than a thousand dollars to my name at all like not it wasn't some secret bank account we were doing reasonably well in our business but all that money went straight back to the business and I had four partners or three other partners so I couldn't just take money out of that business so the creative finance deal was essential for this to go ahead and I was about to go up and sign uh, you know a multi hundred thousand dollar loan that I had never had a loan of, of that size before. On the way up, we we stopped in Byron and and actually went through Byron and went to Nimbin. And it was this little place, Tuntable Falls, that I'd been there before, a lot younger, with some friends. And I remember thinking, oh, I know where I can go to sleep the night. I had my van, and we drove our our van and found this dead end road near Tuntable Falls and, and 
started to set up and uh, it was getting night and someone was coming home up this kind of dead end road and they they, we, they informed us that they lived there this was a community property and that we were not allowed to stay there so they pointed us in the direction a bit further down the road where we could sleep the night and then move on the next day so we did that we moved down the road and, and it was off the, the property so the next morning we woke up and this this person came back down to see I don't know to see if we moved I guess and and they were a lot nicer this time and they you know thanked us for not being rude and actually moving like they'd asked us because they get often they obviously got a lot of people that just parked up there and we got into a conversation and and um, we said we we're on our way to literally that day we were going to the real estate to sign this this contract and then and they welcomed us up for breakfast so we drove up this um, gravel driveway on this property where it was just you know bushland everywhere and we had breakfast and she was sharing us the, the vision of this place it was this Tuntable Falls commune on several hundred acres and there was a you know, multi kind of spaces on this place not just like I don't know like it was broken up into I don't know I think it was like I don't actually know the details now but um she said oh actually it's funny you you're here there's one of the the tenants has just recently passed away and this one little place is is just about to to come up and no one knows about it yet so if you want you guys could go and have a look at it so we're like oh my god of course yeah that'd be great let's have a look we haven't signed this thing yet we're waiting the real estate's waiting we're meeting him in a few hours we've got to drive the rest of the way to get to the sunny coast so we had a look at this little cabin and it was beautiful quaint little cabin perfect for this dream that i had in my head of just disappearing from society and living living in the bush and you know, growing my own food and you know, it was reasonably close to to the ocean, you know, an hour away at least. So not so close but closer than what I grew up in, uh, Western Sydney. So I was like, oh this this could be amazing and we asked well, how much would it be and it was ridiculously cheap. It was it was like fifteen grand. And that was to buy a share in this commune and own that little shack, but also a share of the whole thing. And something was just like, oh my God, like we're about to spend three or 400,000, which back then felt like a lot of money and, and still is at any, but, but obviously property these days can now go into the, to the millions for the similar pieces. So. But at the time, it, it was pretty scary to have, I think it was a $470,000 loan. And then this, this lady's offering us to go in for a $15,000 one. And, oh man, it was, it was so painful to have that thrown at us 
just when I was all committed and I was falling, I fell in love with this place. And so we we got all the details of this place, and she, she said the you know the the thing is you have to live here. You can't just rent it out. You have to be a tenant, and you have to be approved. You can't just buy it and be a, you know you have to live here for a year as a tenant. Then you'll have the first right to buy it and, and so on. So there's a few rules and and there was it was in this, you know, Nimbin commune, um, which there was a part of me that was really excited about and there was a part of me that was a bit scared about. And so we drove drove on we said thanks and we'll we're we're on our way up north, we'll we'll give you a call and we'll, we'll just have a think about this. So we're driving up and, and there was a moment on the highway changing the filter for our veggie oil. It, it wasn't a van actually, it was a, it was a four-wheel drive, a diesel four-wheel drive, a 60s Land Cruiser and I'd been running it on veggie oil because my uncle Cole had taught me how to do that and also my other friend Dave's brother, sorry Pete's brother Dave had taught me how to do that. So we'd been running on veggie oil that had 20 litre jugs of veggie oil that we'd collected from fish and chip shops on the way up. So we were all about sustainable living, using waste to power our life and I was, you know, building this new life, buying this property, gonna live off grid, grow my own food, but we'd just been thrown this kind of lucrative side deal. But we and I was thinking, oh cool, we'll just get both. But if we did get both, we had to live at the Tuntable Falls one. It was a very small little cabin. There wasn't a lot of light. It was just, it was literally in the forest. So we would have been kind of hermits in the forest and that was what the, most of that commune at the time was. It was. There was a little school though, so there was evidence that there was kids around and, and that was really tempting. But my gut still said no. It's the it's this other one, and also my partner's parents lived up on the sunny coast, so she was drawn up that way. I was torn. So we literally on the side of the road changing this the filter because we conked out and we had to change the filter, um, which was reasonably rare because I hadn't learned about heat exchanges at the time and running starting on diesel and finishing on diesel so I was starting on veggie oil and finishing which clogged up the, the filter so we were, we were coming actually just about where I'm heading down to right near Tweed Heads pulled over near a set of lights and we changed changed over bled the system got it running again and then we're like what do we what should we do do we we're about to go into debt for hundreds of thousands which seems so backwards to living off grid and you know getting out out of the system and then here's this offer that no one else would have got other than by us driving up this driveway late at night and meeting the right person at the right time and and this person that had passed recently and us being able to move into this place and for you know I could have paid it off so quickly it just was like so many boxes were ticked there but but there was my gut still felt like something was wrong there so 
we literally picked up a coin and we're like, what do we do? Do we do we go down that route or do we go down the the route of signing the contract? And I did not know what to do. Like they both felt like the right move, but I felt like only one I could commit to. So we flipped a coin and it landed on head to the sunny coast and go with the original deal. And I'm there was a there was some regret at some point in the future, but for the most part I am so glad that I did that because of what the, the doors that opened up from there. Um, it was a huge commitment at the time. So we went up, signed the place and spent five years off grid. Everything was off grid. The, the power, the, the water, there was a phone line which meant as long as we had the solar and a little um, battery system which, which was operating, we could run a laptop and plug our modem into it and get dial up internet. So we could at least kind of just get online and, and um, do a few, you know, check emails and do some work. And then we'd shut it down and turn our laptop off. And the fridge was on gas. The cooking was on the wood stove, which also was what was heating the water. And it was rammed earth building. It was. But it was it was neglected, and the, the old owner hadn't lived there for a while. But it was my dream. It was my dream to live in the bush and just like kind of learn the ways of living a slower-paced, older-fashioned way of living. So I started to learn from Jem's dad, who was a real handyman, a quite a, a recluse in his own right, but very handy with wood and um, mechanics and all sorts of things. Then I met the local farmer, Jim, who taught me all about food growing and the soil and things. So I'm, I know I'm, this episode has gone off track from what should you buy, so I might have to do a part two or I'll try and get us back on track before it's too late. From, I guess what I'm trying to do is paint the picture of of the, re, the remembering of just how big a decision it was to buy that land for the, the learning curve of what I wanted to achieve and also then make, and I thought that was my I thought that that was the um, missed. Um, I might pause. So we'll we'll call this part one because I've just um, realised I'm getting so engrossed that I've lost my direction and gone down the wrong part of the highway. So I'll get get my um, bearings back and I'll come back with part two. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Shambhala Living Podcast. If you enjoyed it, then I'd love it if you would share it with some friends 
and subscribe to this channel and turn on notifications so you can find out when the next podcast comes out. You can find us at Instagram at Shambhala Farm and also check out our upcoming 12-week food growing course. You can find out more details on our newsletter list or on Instagram. I'll see you on the next episode.